Never stop being you, Jim Beheim. And we're going to talk about if UCLA cost themselves a one seed without even playing a game. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, what is going on? Welcome to the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college basketball show out there. I am your host, Andy Patton, joined today by co-host Isaac Shade. I want to thank you all for making the show your first listen or your first watch every single day, especially as we are here in the greatest month of the year in March. Instead of talking about bubbly games, we're going to get to those. Don't worry, plenty of bubbly games, plenty of conversation about UCLA and everything going on with the injury to Jalen Clark. But we're going to start the show talking about the coaching carousel because it feels like the coaching carousel is always going and round and round and round. And yesterday, some really, really big updates on the coaching stuff with Jim Beheim and, of course, Mark Adams. Uh, we're going to start talking about the retirement <laughs> of longtime Syracuse coach Jim Beheim. And I say long time, not like 15 years, 20 years, 25 years even, 47 years that this man spent as the head coach of the Syracuse Orange. He was the coach there when Gerald Ford was the president. <laughs> that is an insane stat that is very difficult to wrap my head around. Thinking about current long-standing coaches, if Mark Few wanted to coach as long as Jim Beheim did at Gonzaga, he would have to be there till 2045. <laughs> Jim Beheim, a legend, spent a very, very long time at Syracuse and retired in the weirdest oddest, frankly, most Jim Bayheimy way possible by basically saying, well, I announced my retirement on Saturday. Didn't you guys pick up on it? And then the reporter continued to kind of say, are you, so are you retiring? And he said, that's not what I said. Do you want to keep coaching? I didn't say that. Okay. <laughs> so I, he's asked up to the university. He kept saying that's up to the university. He kind of, I think he kind of forced them to fire him, but they made it very clear that they were not really firing him either. It was really very bizarre, weird situation. The incredible author at The Athletic, Dan O'Neill, wrote about Jim Beheim just in general. It's a fantastic read. Highly recommend it. But you kind of basically said, this is how it was always going to go. This is who Jim Beheim is. He's stubborn. He's uh, combative. He's all these different things. He's got a big ego. And some of it's good. Some of it's bad. But it's Jim Beheim, And now Adrian Autry takes over the program after 47 years. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see what Syracuse looks like without Jim Beheim, Because as Dana said in her article, people probably wouldn't even know where Syracuse is without Jim Beheim. He has had such a monstrous impact on this program. And it's going to be, you know, after, and, and I know we're going to talk about this here, Isaac, soon. But after Krzyzewski's left, Roy Williams leaves. Like, we're seeing this, Mike Bray is, is out the door, too. Like, we're seeing so many coaches, old veteran coaches especially in the ACC moving on and it's it's going to be a, a weird world without Jim Beheim uh, on the sideline at Syracuse Andy yeah it, it was so odd it was like that classic like tell me you're retiring without telling me you're retiring kind of thing I, yeah. I was just it was so awkward that press conference I love I was so glad the reporter kept pushing yeah. on him and also it's almost poetic justice that this mm. happens in Greensboro because yeah. Jim has been very vocal about his mm -hmm. displeasure with playing the ACC tournament down in basically the the original ACC footprint, mm -hmm. and uh, and I know they don't do that every year, but it, it's kind of funny and and perfectly Jim Beheim that he goes out in this inglorious Wednesday afternoon kind of mm -hmm. thing, um, similar to like you said with with Mike Bray just kind of bowing out yep. the night before on Tuesday, which in a game Notre Dame oh came so close to winning. Right. I was hoping for them but 
I, I want to go with what you said there. This this bigger ACC narrative of it now mm-hmm. is over the course of the past three seasons, we had Roy Williams retire at the end of the year two years ago. That same offseason, Coach K announces that he'll coach one more year and then retired at mm-hmm. the end of the year last year. And then now Bayheim along with Mark Mike Bray. And so we've got four of the 15 ACC coaches stepping away voluntarily, right? Like that's not yeah. even including firings. Like we have Earl Grant at Boston college in his second year. Now mm-hmm. um, it, it is this changing of the guard. And obviously we have that on the national level as well sure. with like Jay Wright leaving mm-hmm. at, at Villanova after last year, but it really is a thing in the ACC. And, and with those four guys stepping away, uh, in addition to the Earl Grant thing, we've had changeover in exactly one third of the ACC yeah. jobs in the span of less than three years, Andy. That's yeah. wild in what has been one of the most stable conferences in our country. And here, here's my thing too. It's not done. Mm-mm. Like we've got Jim Laraniega. He's not, he's got to be close at Miami. Mm-hmm. He's doing a great job. Miami's the number one seed in the ACC tournament. Yeah. Leonard Hamilton at, Florida State, even though he looks younger than me because he's in awesome shape, that dude has to be close to retirement as well. So yeah. I would venture to say that those two guys are going to be stepping away uh, in, a, in a retirement fashion within the next two seasons themselves. Yeah, probably. And so now, Andy, for me, at this point, Tony Bennett's the face of the ACC. <laughs> yeah, I think he has to be. I think I think that has to be the, the takeaway from this. I mean, uh, so much coaching's turnover. And yeah, Larry Nagy has been doing great, but he's I mean, he's in his late seventies. I'm I'm fairly certain, at least mid seventies. And so for him, uh, there's just you know, Father Time's going to catch up, and eventually he's not going to keep doing it for so much longer. Leonard Hamilton, uh, he's seventy three. Coach yeah. L is. Yep. Yeah. So 73 years old there at Hamilton's been around for a long time. Obviously uh, I think he, he may get the benefit of the doubt, but this was a, not a good season for Florida state either. So uh, whether it's a voluntary step away or whether Florida state starts putting a little bit more pressure on him, depending on how next season goes. Yeah. I can't imagine either of those coaches that are there for, like you said, longer than two years at the two years, maybe three years, maybe three years, but I'd be pretty surprised if, if after three years, either of those guys are still there to be honest. And it's a tough place for the universities because at this mm-hmm. point they've kind of granted themselves by their success the opportunity right. to do it on their terms mm-hmm. I, I can't see miami or florida state pulling the trigger on firing right. either of them and so that'll mm-hmm. be interesting to keep tabs on by the way leonard hamilton 74 so he's actually older yeah. than coach l but then andy we go to lubbock texas where this whole mark adam things has now blown up even mm-hmm. On Wednesday, he steps away. Notice the language is not that he was fired by Texas yeah. Tech. Mark Adams steps away. And I, and I, I'm sure it was a, hey, you, you make this decision or we'll make it for you kind of right. thing, whatever. But Had to be. The, the beats of the story, for those who aren't aware, Mark Adams was suspended on Sunday after a, quote, racially insensitive comment to a player. Um, Texas Tech's AD Kirby Hocutt determined that the comment was unintentional and isolated. So, I mean, that's good news from the Mark Adams standpoint of things. Mm -hmm. However, in this day and age, like when you do things like that, it's going to come back to get you. Mm -hmm. Um, Mark Adams used Bible verse that referenced slaves serving their masters. And the the story, the narrative is that he was working to get his players or a specific player, likely a a young black man, to be Mm -hmm. more receptive to his coaching. And and I get that you're doing that. But you got to be so careful with this language. And so in Texas Tech's loss to West Virginia on Wednesday, Corey Williams served as their interim coach. Well, Andy, here's the good news. 
This is where it's great that we have a seminary-trained, ordained minister with a master's degree in New Testament here on the podcast, and that would be yours truly. My master's degree is literally in New Testament studies. And so it's this interesting thing where in the context of the Bible— the, the idea of slaves and masters is not what we would think about of like people having literally gone to another continent and taking people back. Mm-hmm. It's more about indentured servitude, right? Mm-hmm. It, it would be the biblical context where people are trying to make a living and so whatever. It doesn't matter though, because that is not the context that most people know or right. are aware of. And and so I, I appreciate Mark Adams trying to, to do what he did and, and use a, a known source for a lot of people. But Andy, while I base my life on the truth of the Bible, I don't mind saying that. That's not true for everyone, right? right. And so we, ha- we have to be aware of those things in this day and age, particularly when you are the head coach of young, impressionable men. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think for Adams, like this was, this may have been an isolated incident in terms of the specific language he used, but he has had multiple other issues. Yes. And we're yes. not going to get That's into right. all of them because there is a lot, quite <laughs> honestly, some of them are, are less uh, provable. Like I said, so I don't want to say things that are maybe rumors or, or not necessarily sure. true. Feel free to look up some of the stuff going on with Mark Adams, because some of the stories quite honestly are insane about his situation at Texas tech. One thing that is very clear players do not want to continue to play for him. That is part of the reason why Texas Tech had to make this decision and, and like you said, either force him out or, or let him step down voluntarily. But players had basically confirmed we are not going to return if Mark Adams is the head coach. And at the end of the day, if you can't field a team, you can't convince players to come play for your program because of your coach, you have to make a move. And for Mark Adams, it sounds like this was this specific incident may have been isolated to one, but there were other incidents that had continued to happen, other ways that he had treated players or made players feel that was creating a environment that felt hostile to some of these players. And, and, and at the end of the day, you, you can't feel a team like that. And so I think that's, that's going to lead to Mark Adams going out the door. Uh, now we have another job opening at Texas tech. Uh, we've seen some big 12 chaos uh, in the coaching world. We haven't even gotten into uh, the TCU situation, which is it's kind of a still developing story with Eddie Lampkin leaving the program uh, and seeming to be pretty upset with how he was treated by the coaching staff. So another one that, that could come down the pipeline as we get more, more information on that story. Uh, but right now, Texas Tech's got to find a new coach. Uh, they're not bringing back Chris Beard. He's looking. Much. He's looking. He's He needs a job. <laughs> that would be a absolutely ludicrous. That would be one of the most ludicrous stories I can remember for a long time. But Chris oh. Beard's going to Ole Miss. That's what it sounds like is the situation there. Uh, Ole Miss is willing to bite the bullet there and take a chance on Chris Beard. Uh, again, I literally that's put confirmed. this emoji in our Google Doc about it. <laughs> yeah, that's that seems to be the situation. Uh, in terms of where tech might go, we'll have more lengthier conversations about this on a later date. Uh, Paul Mills at Oral Roberts and Grant McCaslin at North Texas seem like the more right. obvious choices right off the shoots, but again, uh, we will delve into that more a little bit later. Coaching tree, absolutely insane. Bayheim Adams, uh, we mentioned Mike Bray earlier. We knew that. Uh, Patrick Ewing probably coached his last game at Georgetown as we're recording this. That has not been finalized, but it's really hard to imagine the Hoya is a very, very proud basketball program. Willing to bring Ewing back. It's a kind of a sad situation, different contextually from the Bayheim situation uh, in terms of how long they've been at their program and the different roles that they faced. But both Ewing and Bayheim were, were instrumental figures in the Big East becoming what it was in the 80s. And they've both kind of 
are in situations that are a lot different now with their current programs. And uh, it's a little sad to see in, in a lot of ways, but it's time for Ewing to go. I don't think that that's a particularly hot take. Uh, it's It's been a really rough go for him for the last few years. And I think that we saw him coach his final game. And when that happens, it'll be interesting to see how Georgetown impacts the coaching carousel. And it was interesting. He referenced Coach Beheim's comments, Patrick Ewing mm-hmm. did, in his post-game press conference after Georgetown got blown out by Villanova on Wednesday. Speaking of Villanova, we do want to get into the actual basketball action from Wednesday. We had some bubble winners. We had some bubble losers. I'm looking at you, Wisconsin, (laughs) and we're going to get into all of that. But first, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. We've just passed the midway point of the NBA season, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because new customers get a no-sweat $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So just download that FanDuel Sportsbook app because it's safe, it's secure, and super easy to use. And then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to if Kevin Durant is going to injure himself pregame again like he did on Wednesday. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So do not miss your chance to get that no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. Once again, that's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn all about it. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So, Andy, obviously, as we get conference tournaments really rolling on Wednesday, uh, that means a lot of these middling Uh, high major teams are going to start getting into action. We had several of them that played on Wednesday, and then we had several more. Uh, The rest of them will be getting into action on Thursday. So we had some winners, some losers. Let's start with the winners. We had what I thought was essentially um, not necessarily an elimination game because I think West Virginia might have been able to survive a loss Mm -hmm. against Oklahoma State, but for Oklahoma State, I think it was an elimination game. Uh, or excuse me, they weren't playing each other for West Virginia against Texas Tech. Uh, very much an elimination game for Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. West Virginia gets it. I'm all in on West Virginia yep. being in the tournament at this point. I would call them a winner. And then in the battle of the Sooner State, Oklahoma State has some trouble with Oklahoma, but win. And um, Andy, here's where I kind of want to start with with the bubble winners. Joe Lenardi says after this win that Oklahoma State is firmly in. I disagree wholeheartedly with that. I think there's more work to do for the Sooners. What about you? Yeah, I'm with you. I I think that they have a a much better chance of being in. Watching the game, Fran Fraschilla was one of the broadcasts from the game, fantastic broadcaster, one of my all-time favorites. He (laughs) repeatedly talked about Lenardi saying that basically that this game is a guarantee for Oklahoma State if they win, they're in. And and I think if they win, and they did, obviously, I think they – are have a much better chance of getting it. I think there's still a chance that if nothing else happens for them, if they lose their next game, that they still make it in. But it's I, I can't I can't guarantee it. They're 41st in the net right now. They're six and eleven in quad one get wins. That's not terrible, especially the Big 12, but it's not right. great. You add on two quad two losses. They also have a quad three loss. No 18 good. and 14 overall record. Like 
I, I, it's a fine resume. It's an okay resume. It's a borderline tournament resume, but I don't think that a win over Oklahoma was what moved the needle enough to put them squarely into the field of 68. I just can't, I can't look at the other teams on the bubble right now and think, yeah, all of those teams, Oklahoma state is guaranteed to make it over those teams. I just, I don't think that that's the situation. I think that this team is, is in a decent spot. I think that they could win. And if they win the next game that they play, then they're almost certainly in because, any win in the Big 12 is really a fantastic win, but the resume right now is is spotty. Even with the win over Oklahoma, especially, I mean, Oklahoma's not a good team, and they didn't win in a very convincing fashion. So for me, this team is still pretty squarely on the bubble. I, and and at some point, I get that it's the Big 12, and I get that it's the best conference in basketball, but at mm-hmm. some point, the number of sheer losses you have has to matter. Yep. Oklahoma State is 14 total losses. Mm-hmm. That's just too many for mm-hmm. me. But you know what? Andy, they played Texas today. You want to mm-hmm. make it into this field? You go knock off the Longhorns. Right. Then we're not even having this conversation. Right. Like, the, you're, you're good at that point. But uh, so we'll see what happens as Big 12 play continues today. There were three, count them, three ACC teams who were bubble winners on Wednesday. North Carolina State got a, what I thought was a really impressive win. Mm-hmm. And then Pittsburgh did the same, as did North Carolina, getting their biggest win of the, uh, the the ACC play, their biggest win over an ACC opponent this year. Um, Andy, I think North Carolina State and Pitt were both in good position coming in. I think they both feel uh, good about where they were at from a standpoint. But obviously, for me, these wins cement both of them mm-hmm. in. I think yeah. the biggest winner of these three was North Carolina, who was yeah. in a simply can't lose type game against Boston College, and they handled their business well. But Andy, with four plus minutes left in the first half of that game, Armando Baycott goes yeah. down with yet another ankle injury. Yeah. If if Baycott is even limited, is there a world in which you can see North Carolina still rattling off four games and four days with a hobbled Armando Baycott? No. I, the ACC is not as strong as it's been in the past, and I think North Carolina has a chance to 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 make some noise in that tournament with a healthy Baycott. But if he's, I mean, if he's hobbled maybe maybe but it's very slim if he's out at all then there i think there's no chance i quite honestly I, this team is is really really dependent on what he does around the rim uh, i think if he were to not play you'd see a lot more chucking from rj davis from caleb love some of the situations had a great was, game on wednesday let's give them that credit totally totally they absolutely deserve that credit and i think i, I just don't think that north carolina has other players to step up uh, and gobble up offensive rebounds and clean up the glass and, and do that stuff. Pete Nance would need to be would need to be absolutely on fire. Maybe he could do that. Maybe he could do something that we have only seen kind of snippets from him this year uh, at North Carolina. But I, I'd be pretty worried about the Tar Heels if, if Baycott's even less than 80%. I think that that's a, a really hard situation for that team to be in. Well, the, the final team that we have is a bubble winner, and and I guess we have to call them a winner since they won, but it's kind of in name only because they struggled against a, quite frankly, pitiful, pitiful Oregon go. State team was Arizona State, who just, for, I mean, the final score was 63-57, so technically they win by six, but mm-hmm. I, I'm watching this game uh, updated, by the way. I can't get Pac-12 to save my life on my TV, but like Arizona <laughs> no State. No one can. <laughs> right. Come on. Come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get that figured out. 
Kliakov. Um, but Arizona State, they are they are a winner by virtue of winning, but I feel not safe for them at all. If they want to be in this thing, they're gonna have to keep winning in the pack. 12 tournament for sure and if i remember correctly it's arizona or usc on mm-hmm. thursday yes it is and so uh that i, I feel good about where usc's at but man if if uh, arizona state could get that win they'd be in good shape andy what about quickly some bubble losers including that team that i said is very losy yeah, Wisconsin looked absolutely terrible in the first half against Ohio State. They showed some fight in the second half. They showed a little life. They made the score look a little bit more respectable. But I, this team is not an NCAA tournament team. They didn't look like an NCAA tournament team before they played Ohio State. You <laughs> predicted that they would lose to Ohio State and that that would end their, their bubble. That's game. right. That is exactly what happened. Uh, and again, the final score made it look like, oh, they put up a little bit of a fight. But they had 18 points in the first half, Isaac. 18 points in the first half of the biggest, most important game of the season. It feels like they just didn't even show up. It felt like they did not show up to a game that they absolutely needed to show up to. They shot less than 35% from the field, four of 22 from deep. This is a bad team. They're not going to go dancing. I, I, I mean, and now, I mean, now it's pretty much entirely confirmed because of this. So I, I think uh, they were the biggest loser. Texas Tech, obviously a big loser as well. Um, they also they, lost their coach. So they, Yeah, they lost their coach. They lost the game. Uh, they lost Dawes Amac. We didn't get into that, but he has announced he's entering the transfer portal. He's not coming back. So rough day in Lubbock, <laughs> rough day uh, in Madison, Wisconsin as well. Uh, and so now we got a lot of kind of, you know, big games coming up in the next couple of days. Uh, but but by and large, that was those are the two teams that really, really kind of lost it uh, on, on Wednesday night. Well, friends, there were three tickets punched on Wednesday. Congrats to these teams. Texas A&M, Corpus Christi from the Southland Conference, Colgate from the Patriot coming back, back-to-back, and then Montana State from the Big Sky. Andy, 14 conferences down, mm-hmm. 18 more automatic qualifiers to go. No more, though, until Saturday, so nothing on no championships on Thursday or Friday, but we get 13 <laughs> tickets punched on Saturday. Well, Isaac, UCLA officially announced, somewhat surprisingly, that Jalen Clark is done for the season. That's probably not an announcement they should have made. We're going to talk about that more in the final segment. All right, Isaac, Jalen Clark done for the year. We kind of had the sense that this was going to be the announcement that we were going to hear eventually from UCLA. His injury looked bad. It was a lower leg injury. They announced he was not going to play in the rest of the Pac-12 tournament. This is a huge loss for Mick Cronin's squad, Jalen Clark, Defensive Player of the Year in the Pac-12, one of the best defensive players, quite honestly, in the entire country. But it was surprising to see them make this announcement. We'll take you back. I'll tell you a story about what happened in the year 2000 with the Cincinnati Bearcats. Remember when they were they were they were a good basketball team? It's been, it's been a while since they were back in that in that conversation. But back then, the 2000, the number one team, 12 weeks during the regular season because of Kenyon Martin, number one pick in the NBA draft that year, I believe, or a top pick in that draft. Uh, he was averaging 19 points, 10 rebounds, three and a half blocks per game, an absolute machine for that team. Uh, and then he breaks his leg. First game of the Conference USA Tournament. Uh, Cincinnati subsequently gets a two seed after being the number one team for, again, three months of the season. They were the number one team on March 6th. He gets a, they get a two seed. They lose to a seven-seeded Tulsa in the second round. The committee is totally fine with bumping you down a seed line if they think that an injury that your team has suffered is going to impact how you perform in March. 
This is why it was a little bit surprising to see UCLA make an announcement about Jalen Clark's injury because it could, they were fighting for that final one spot. We talked at length earlier in the week on this podcast about UCLA, Purdue, Texas, who's going to get that final number one spot uh, is if UCLA beats Arizona, do they deserve that spot? We kind of had them already in that spot, kind of in the driver's seat, depending on what happens, of course, in the big 10 with, with Purdue and, and in the big 12 with Texas. But to me, this might be enough to, to kind of push them down a spot. Depend, of course, if they beat Arizona in the Pac-12 tournament without Jalen Clark, that might be enough to kind of still keep them in that spot. But they, they shot themselves in the foot yeah. a little bit here. And I think that's the, that's the story is that there was – and maybe there's, maybe there's some compelling reason they did it. Maybe somebody just you know snuck the information out of somebody and reported it. I'm not sure the whole situation there. But Clark being out is not something that UCLA necessarily needs the committee to know before Selection Sunday, and now they do. Andy, this is a terrible decision from UCLA. If if I'm the Bruins, if I'm Mick Cronin, I am so tight-lipped on this thing that there is no way someone can sneak it out. Because I'm with you. I think that's how this got out. Because there's no way, no way, if you're in the mix for a number one seed and, and you're the best defender in the entire conference is out, like the only the only games now that the, the committee, the selection committee, will be able to base UCLA on is their Pac-12 performance because their Pac-12 tournament performance because mm-hmm. that's all they'll have without him. Keep in mind, the NCAA does not have a mandated injury reporting policy. So mm-hmm. if, if you're UCLA, you have to slow play this. You have yeah. to keep it vague. You want the selection committee to think that there is some chance that he comes back to play so that they have to factor him in. So mm-hmm. if, if I'm UCLA, I'm using words like, ah, oh, he's day-to-day. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're reevaluating Jalen Clark's injury. We're hopeful that he'll be back. Right. Uh, He's out indefinitely, but we're hopeful that he'll be back for the NCAA tournament. There's, I mean, you're not even lying with that. You can be hopeful that he'll be back. Even if (laughs) you know, he's not, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, you have to do this so that, um, that, that the selection committee doesn't put you on that two line just by virtue of having uh, somebody from your team out because Andy, I know the difference between a one and a two seed isn't all that drastic, but keep this in mind. A 15 seed has beaten a two seed 10 times in the modern era, dating back to 1985 when the field expands to 64 teams. And that's happened once in each of the past two seasons. Mm -hmm. So we know that that is a pretty decent, at least possibility, but Andy Patton in the history of the modern NCAA tournament. How many times has a one seed lost to a 16? Once. One Bingo, time. I see that index finger, and we all know <laughs> who it was, and we don't have to say it, but they're playing the North Carolina Tar Heels tonight, and we've already named their head coach as the face of the ACC. Hints, mm-hmm. hints, hints, wink, wink, wit, nudge, nudge, nudge. <laughs> so the difference between a one and a two seed is the mm-hmm. difference in potentially bowing out in the first mm-hmm. round. So, Andy, mm-hmm. UCLA did themselves exactly zero favors here. And it, for me, has cost them a number one seed. I believe that Mm -hmm. on Sunday, we will see UCLA's name come out on the two line Mm -hmm. because they let the world know that Jalen is out. Now, Andy, you specifically picked Arizona to win the Pac-12 conference, because Pac-12 tournament, Mm -hmm. because of this information. We talked about that the other day. Mm -hmm. What do you think now is UCLA's ceiling just 
not even what we've been talking about, but from an actual gameplay standpoint, are they still national championship capable? Are they final four capable second weekend? What is UCLA ceiling now that we for sure know Jalen Clark is out? One of the hardest things about college basketball is even good teams usually struggle with depth. There are so few teams in college basketball on a year to year basis that have like really good depth. Most teams have fine depth. They have six or seven players that are pretty good. Maybe some teams have eight uh, you know, really, really good teams. Their eighth, ninth, tenth guys are usually like high-level prospects but who are very, very raw and don't play all that often. But you don't see very many teams that have a ton of depth. And UCLA, that's gonna, that's gonna, it's going to be challenged. It's going to be interesting to see how they kind of respond to that because they've been pretty reliant on their starters. They're reliant on Campbell. They're reliant on Jaquez. They're reliant on, on the freshmen and Amari Bailey and Adembona. And, of course, they were really reliant on Clark. And now that depth is going to be tested. They're playing Colorado at noon uh, on Thursday. So that'll be a, an interesting game to see. Colorado has had some flashes of greatness this year. They've also looked horrendous at times this year. So that's a really hard game to kind of pinpoint what that means for UCLA, depending on how they do. Uh, but for me, the ceiling for this team does drop. I would be pretty surprised without Jalen Clark if this team makes a Final Four. Yeah. I think this go. team is probably still a Sweet 16 team, depending on what seven seed they draw if they end up being on that two line. Uh, I think there are some teams in that range that could absolutely challenge them in a significant way. Some teams, some power teams that might lose early in their conference as soon as today that end up falling onto that seven line that could really challenge UCLA. So I could <laughs> see them losing that early. I don't think they're going to lose to a 15 seed. I think they're most likely going to bow out in the Sweet 16. And that's not a, not a great year. That's not Mick Cronin's goal is not to bow out in the Sweet 16. They, they want to go farther than that this year. And without Jalen Clark, that's going to be a lot harder. So for me, I think that this team's ceiling their their ceiling is probably final four like making it to the final four but i'd be pretty shocked if they get there i think more likely they're a sweet 16 team maybe an elite eight team but i don't think they're going to go as far as they had planned to and and losing jalen clark really hurts uh, that's unfortunate and that would be back-to-back years they lose in the sweet 16 after losing mm-hmm. there to north carolina yep. last year let me mention two quick bubble games and then andy mm-hmm. i've got a coaching pop quiz question for you Ooh, as we get right. out uh, the first big time bubble game today, Thursday, noon Eastern on Big Ten Network. This for me is an elimination game, Andy Rutgers, mm-hmm. which is weird that they're this have fallen this far yep. against Michigan. Winner is still in good shape. I don't think winner's in, but the loser is definitely out as far as I'm concerned. Yep. The nightcap, we already mentioned it, Arizona State versus USC, 1130 mm-hmm. Eastern on ESPN. USC honestly feels pretty safe to me either way, but Arizona State would feel much better about things with the wind. And obviously there's a whole host of bubble games and great matchups all day long in between. Andy, here are the pop quizzes. With Jim Beheim stepping away, who is now the longest tenured coach in all of D1? And I do not expect you to get this answer. Man, I was going to say the, the Davidson coach, whose name I'm not able to come up with right Bob now. McKillop? He- yeah, but he's, he's, he's not there anymore. He's so. not there anymore. That's right. That would have been, that would have been my Greg camp at Oakland who has been there since 1984, 85. Oh season. my goodness. No chance I'd have gotten that. I was born in January of 84. So Greg <laughs> camps tenure at Oakland is as old wow. as me. Now this one might be gettable for you. The second one, who is the longest tenured coach now at the high major level, which is the third longest overall. I'll give you a hint. It's a big 10 coach, big 10 coach. Um, is it Izzo? It is Tom Izzo. It's got to be. 1995-96, one of the great coaches, one of the great guys Mm -hmm. in this game. 
Well, Andy, great stuff there. We are excited for a great Thursday of conference tournament action. Cannot wait to talk again tomorrow to check in where we're at. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show, like, and comment. And I'd like to give some apologies, as always, to the lawyer family. Until tomorrow, peace.